0: For the next two weeks, Pastor Josh and myself are going to be in the book of James. I'm going to be uh, going through James chapter 3. Pastor Josh, next week, will be doing James chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I would appreciate it if you would turn there and follow along. As just a brief reminder, in chapter 2 of James... Um, James was talking about faith and works and the relationship between those two, and he said that faith without works is dead. But he also reminded us that that works does not produce faith, but works are the outpouring of true faith and bring glory and honor to God. We're going to be starting again then in chapter 3. I want to read this today in two sections. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12 first, and then verses 13 to the close, verse 18. Um, follow along then as I read verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also though they are so large and are driven by the strong winds they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire in a world of unrighteousness the tongue is set among our members who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth comes blessings and curses. My brothers, these things not not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I would like to set aside verse 1 for later uh, in this message. So starting in verse 2, I want us to consider the first thing on your outline, which says, Those who profess God should especially control their tongue. We're going to be speaking of control of the tongue. From the scripture in verse 2, we can see that all are under the same universal problem. For it says, all stumble. We stumble in many ways, we stumble in different ways. What might be a hindrance for some is not a hindrance for others. But James says that if we get speech right, if we could control a tongue, that person is perfect. And James uses the example in verses 3 that, it, that a bit is placed in the, ho- the, horse, the mouth of a horse or the rudder of a ship in verse 4, and both the bridle and the bit and the rudder are ways to control these elements. So it's safe to say that c- the control of the tongue will be complete control of the whole body. He says if we control our tongue, Our thoughts, our actions, our words, everything will be in complete control. He says he is a perfect man. Well, we know that there is no such perfect man. I sometimes marvel at what God has done by inspiring people to write his book. Why did he pick James to talk about a perfect person? James was the brother, the earthly brother of Jesus himself. Do you think that when James was growing up with Jesus, he realized this guy doesn't do anything wrong? He has complete control of his tongue. He is a perfect person. That revelation must have been sometime later in life because we know by what God's word says, he was an unbeliever. But he came to faith and realized that Jesus was the Lord. He was a perfect person. I think each one of these two examples also can show us something about controlling the tongue. To bridle a horse, we know that that is used to control them. A horse is a very strong animal. And the bridle will put that horse where the master would lead him. But, with the, but that also comes at there must be training involved for that creature. The tongue shares the same reluctance to be used and governed. Psalm 39.1 says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. In the form of the Psalms, like we so many, so many times see, a verse can be a repetition of the same thought in two different ways, and that's what's going on here. We see that the tongue is going to lead us to sin, and without even a muzzle on it, we don't have the chance to ever have control of it. And we should never lead ourselves to sin before those that are going to condemn the God that we serve. We do not want the the wicked to see us fall into sin. But the other example that is talked about is the pilot of a ship. And he can take that ship and navigate it where he wants by that small rudder. The same way, power is being used and applied only because it can be controlled. So we must be in charge of our tongue, and our tongue not in charge of us. Also, remember our tongue is capable of doing a great deal of good and a great deal of hurt. James continues his instruction in our self-control by reminding us we are taught to dread an unruly tongue as one of the greatest and most destructive evils. We in Michigan know what forest fires are, we see them, but we don't see the magnitude of the fires that we do see out west. We have access through the news and we can see and witness the mass destruction that comes about, leaving in its path behind nothing but ashes. And how do some of those fires start? They're of a very small origin, maybe a campfire, maybe a discarded match, whatever it might be. Even something as powerful as lightning in the smallest form takes on and gets huge in reality in the, in the fires that we see. And I think like those blazes where it's all-consuming, so there is so much destruction, there is also the same amount of evil in the tongue. How far can it go? It can consume our whole body. Solomon would say, Ecclesiastics 5, verse 6, Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And again, the same author in Ecclesiastes 5 2 says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This isn't about the volume, this isn't about the amount of words that we say, but the type of words. I think that we should remember that fewer words, well-chosen, are always more appropriate than just the volume and continuings to speak. But notice the progression that James is talking about when he's talking about how the fire consumes. It's only one part of of a member, but it stains the whole body. It will affect all of our life, public and private, and that it is given as a source, and that beginning we see is the fire of hell. I want to give you an example and there's absolutely no political statement involved in this. Think about when we hear on the news and the reporter says, there's a message coming out of 1600, I just lost the ad, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Or it says, the White House said. Now, can an address have a notice? Can a house make a statement? No, what they're saying is, the president that is there has said something. The same with this. It isn't hell that is making a statement. It's who and what lives there and has been designed for his place of torment, and that's the devil himself. And we must remember that devil is expressly called a liar, a murderer, an accuser of the saints, an unruly tongue, and is set on fire, we are set on fire by hell. But it is the devil that is leading us. There hasn't been any good news so far in James about our tongue, and unfortunately, it's going to continue some more. We are are taught how difficult it is to govern the tongue. Oh, you pet lovers, and you know who you are. How you love to show us non-pet lovers what Fido can do. He can roll over, play dead, fetch a stick, Polly can tell us that he wants a cracker. Mittens can ring the bell to let us know that he needs more meow mix. Do you get your inspiration from from chapter 3, verse 7? What does that say? For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. The biblical example? A lion can have his mouth shut up and can do no harm to Daniel. Beasts can be trained, but what does it say about human beings in the tongue? Verse 8 says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. I want to specifically speak to the young people that are here today. And what I mean by young people, let's say anybody that hasn't graduated from high school. So young people, children, If you're hearing and willing to listen to what I say, raise your hand so I can see where you are. Who are you? These words from God's holy word applies to you also. You have to watch what you say to other people. Think about this. Think about how you speak to your siblings, your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad, maybe to your teachers, maybe to your friends, how you might say to them, you know, you, you eat your bologna sandwich like a weirdo. <laughs> or your parents say something to you and are correcting you. Maybe even have to discipline you and your answer to them is I don't like you I hope that's the worst that you say to them but in those cases you've just used words to try to hurt somebody else God's word says that's sin and you shouldn't be doing that and when that happens there should be something inside you that makes you feel bad about that it's called guilt And what you do with that is you ask for forgiveness. You go to that person and you say, I'm sorry for what I said. And I can guarantee you that the more that that person loves you, the quicker they will be to forgive you and say, it's okay. But there's also something else that has happened there. God's word said, this is so bad that it is like evil and poison and those are before God you've also sinned before God and you must ask for his forgiveness and as much as that other person loved you God loves you more and he will be quick to forgive you also Hebrews 4 verses verse 12 says for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's all good about God's word. That's how powerful God's word is, because it comes into us, sharper than any any two-edged sword. But you know what? For us as individuals, when we speak out of hate, it is as powerful in the evil as it is God's word for the good. It pierces terribly and it ought not to be. The last point that James discusses about controlling the tongue is how absurd it is that we can take and use our tongue not only to pray and praise God but also to curse and to slander others. I'm going to go back up two chapters into verse, James chapter 1, reading in verse 5 through 8, and it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded. Double-minded speech. We say two things with the same mouth. We curse God and we praise God. And that shouldn't be. And one of the worst examples of that is we use the same names that we call and worship and praise and honor of God, and we use them as some vile fill-in in in our sentences. And that shouldn't be. True worship of God will will not have contradictions. The true believer in God will not allow contradictions in their words or in their deeds. Let's go to our next section of scripture, verses 13 through 18. I've said that on your handout, we're going to be talking about earthly wisdom is jealously self-seeking, but true wisdom shapes the wise. Self-seeking and shapes. Follow along as I read verses 13 through 18. who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions in the heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritually, unspiritual, demonic. For the For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of the righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I think we all can give examples of opposites. Hot, cold, dark, light, small, big, rich, poor. I think the opposites between good wisdom and and bad wisdom are almost as clear as those opposites would be. But I think that even more so, it's important that we see uh, that James contrasts the original original force that these two wisdoms come from. One is good, one is evil. There is the wisdom that comes from above that he speaks of in verses 15 and 17. And Let's not just assume that from above means that it comes from God. Let's look at what God's word says. Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my words. Here God himself says that his throne is in heaven. Some expanse past what we know as part of our world is where God himself lives. And he looks down on everything that he has made and he compares that part to his footstool, giving more credence to we know he must be from above. God is above. But also part of this scripture says There's almost kind of like a bonus in there who God looks at favorably. And he says, to whom will I look? The one that's humble, that's contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. God sees and knows his own. So clearly we can say that God, the power and the wisdom of God comes from above. But what about the opposite of God? Where does that come from? Well, it says that it's jealously self-seeking. And that wisdom is demonic, earthly, unspiritual. I'd like to read from you a quote from uh, Matthew Henry's commentary, if you're not familiar with Matthew Henry. This was written about the year 1710, but I always think that he's a great source of understanding better God's word. Whence such wisdom cometh? Where does the wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual and demonic coming from? That's what he's saying. It descendeth not from above, but arises from beneath. And to speak speak plainly, it is earthly, sensual, devilish. It springs from earthly principles, acts upon earthly motives, and serves earthly purposes. It is sensual, indulging the flesh, and making provisions to fulfill the lust and desires of it. And it is devilish, such wisdom being the wisdom of devils, Whose condemnation is pride? Those who are lifted up with such wisdom as this must fall into condemnation of the devil. End of quote. So I think it's accurate to say that wisdom is this wisdom is void of any part of God, and it is in direct conflict with God Himself and His wisdom. The author, we know, is no other than the devil himself. And what did Jesus say? John chapter 8, verse 40, 44 says, you, of your, you are of your father, the devil, and you, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, and for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what are the fruits of these two different spirits? I think James starts by telling us that men and women that pretend to be wise, and then there are those that really are wise and are seeking after God himself. We see this in verse 13 and 14. The wise man is a man that has knowledge. He accumulates and understands. But it isn't just about how much he knows. It's the application and the wisdom that he has to use that knowledge. It will be shown in his words and deeds. When I was thinking through this, it made me remember of my times when I was instructed in God's word And part of the tools that were used at that time for my education was Luther's small catechism. A catechism is nothing more than a book that has questions and answers. Luther would ask a question and then answer it according to God's word. It started out, he said, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. We realize that's one of God's commandments. I find it interesting what Ruther wrote in his small catechism. We should fear and love God that we may not deceitfully belie, betray, slander, nor defame our neighbor, but defend him, speak well of him, and put the best construction on everything. That last part is what always got me. Put the best construction on everything. That takes work. That's something that we can do. We're constructing the best that we can. We don't just use words and stay away from them so that we don't hurt, but we lift up. We're building. And I think James reminded us in all of this that we are to do it humbly, in meekness. Do not let our pride take over. Because we have to remember it's all for the glory of God and not for ourselves. But there's also a contrary spirit mentioned by James. It's a bitter, jealous, and selfish, ambitious character. And where does that come from? It's right from our own hearts. It's there. It's envy and strife and opposed to meekness. Holy zeal and bitter envy are direct opposites. Envy is first and then excites strife and then continuing on almost like in a pro- progression, strife uh, excuses itself by vain glorying and lying and following is malice and tension and evil seeking works that are sure to follow. Our thoughts turn into actions like all sin does. James says this wisdom is not to be gloried in. It is from the devil, and we should flee from it. But let's look at also what James says about those things that should be part of us, inside of us. What should be the nature and the character of us, because it's the nature and character of God himself. Verse 17, he lists seven things. I want to say them and give you a brief explanation of what I think helps us understand them more follow along. The first one is, says to be pure, not allowing for any known sin, strive for holiness in the heart and life, peaceable, peace following purity and depends upon it. Those who are wise do what they can to preserve peace. They are the peacemakers, gentle, not demanding, not being rigorous, about options, about their own opinions, not arguing of their own way, not being rude and overbearing in conversation, not harsh and cruel in temperament. Open to reason. First and foremost, yielding ourselves to the persuasion of God's word and of the Holy Spirit. Mercy and good fruits. Inwardly, Disposed to everything that is kind and good, and quick to forgive those who offend, and submitting to his spirit and leading to acts of service. Without partiality, to be without suspicion, free from judging, making undue surmises or differences in our conduct towards one person or another. And finally, sincere or as the King James Version would say, hypocrisy. 2 Corinthians 1.12 For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely toward you. I think Paul has just summed up what James is also saying and has said that he agrees with what the tongue and our, and our speech and all of our actions should be like. We, are, we know that we're up against a very hard situation to have control over, and that is the tongue. Tongue. Paul and James are both saying, apart from God, we can't do that. And we're going to struggle, each and every one of us. But I think when he says to watch who we may offend, at the end when it says supremely toward you, we have to understand that Paul was talking about the church, fellow believers. We should even have a greater desire to show respect and honor to our brothers and sisters in Christ to let our speech to them be glorifying edifying and out of love i'm going to use verse 1 as my conclusion and my last point for this message and the reason for that is because i find this portion of this portion of scripture to be, I take it, the most personal. Let me read again verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We already said in verse 2, that he was speaking to all, because we all would fall short. But he's very specific in this part of Scripture that he is talking and speaking directly at teachers. I think when we understand what teachers are, we can better understand the gravity and to who he is speaking. I don't believe that this is being brought as small a focus as pastors or elders. I think this includes all that teach others in God's Word. I like what the NIV says. Instead of teachers, it says fellow believers. This statement, I believe, encompasses many people right here today at, at Crossway. We have many that are teachers of God's word, whether it's teaching our young people in Sunday school, whether it's those that lead community groups, whether it's in other Bible studies, adult Sunday school, we, male and female, are all teachers. And we have to understand that that we will be held to a higher standard than others. But we must also understand, as always, that God is the one that's doing the judging. But why the reminder from James about judgment? I think there's one good reason, but it is shown in two different ways. I think the reason for it is so that we can be good teachers. The way that it's shown, so that we won't judge others. As it says in Matthew 7, verse 12, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. It does not remove us from the obligation as fellow Christians that we should admonish those that are in sin. But we should always do that in humility. But we can better teach when we leave the judgment to God. It's not part of what we have to do. It's not our responsibility. We are to teach the word of God. God will do the judging. But also... I think it's so that our pride does not make us think more highly of ourselves than we should. Even in professing God's word quickly, our human pride can take over and think, I'm becoming pretty good at this. I don't think that I will be judged the same. It becomes a work, and we must know that that will lead to no good thing. We must stay humble. For teachers, it should never be about ourselves, but about our sharing the truth of Jesus himself. For me, the greatest obstacle for preaching has never been that I'm going to be up in front of people. I think that there always should be a mild degree of nervousness there because it keeps us humble. If we think that we're that good at it, we're going to think that it's now a performance instead of really teaching. And the other part for me is I know that this week I've had people praying for me. I know that people prayed for me today. I know that people in this room love me. And I know that they want what is best not only for myself but for other believers in Crossway Christian Church. I have the support of you people. And that means a lot to anyone that's giving and teaching God's word. Please don't limit it just to myself or to Pastor Josh or to Pastor Doug. Think of all that teach. Have respect for them. Continue to pray for them that they do the best that they can with what God has equipped them to do. I think what has kept me sober and humbled before God is that I will give an accountability for every word that I have said about God's word. Through my years, I've had good men that have led me and taught me the knowledge and the wisdom that they've been taught and are willing to share it with me so that I can be equipped to teach God's word. But in doing that, I still feel I am going to stand before God like each one of us does and give an account for everything that I have said. Everything that I have tried to profess is the truth of God's word. I hope that I have never done it out of malice. If it is out of ignorance, God will forgive me. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. And what servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much has Was given to him, much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand much. Think about taming the tongue and all that it entails to try and accomplish that. Think about teaching, and that we will be held accountable for it. The world will hear and see what we do and will judge us one way or the other. May our tongue be unbridled to speak and our hearts overflowing with, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is that gospel? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We had rebelled against God and were in deserving of eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. But God, being rich in mercy, would send his son to pay the price for our sin that we could never do. Nothing that we could ever do could atone for that sin. We would not even seek after God if God had not enlightened us to the truth of who he is. And that right standing, that righteousness comes to us freely, by faith alone. We are righteous and made right before God by Christ alone and faith alone. And that's the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would continue to lead and direct us, that we would have victory over this part of what you have created in us, our tongue. Lord, you never designed it to speak evil or to be used against you. But because of our sin, it does happen, Lord. Even for those, Lord, that you have redeemed and brought to true faith, We still stumble and fall in sin, and we ask for for your forgiveness. But we pray, Lord, that we continue to bridle that tongue and that it be used to glorify you, to edify others, and to equip the saints. Lord, there is nothing greater that we can do, no greater responsibility that we can undertake than to help make disciples of those that you would put in our path. Lord, continue to lead us, direct us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.